On today's episode, I'm joined by Simon Strawn, the co-founder and GM of Sport for Gainline Analytics, an analytics consultancy focused on quantifying cohesion within teams. This is Measurables. All right, Simon. Uh, thanks for joining me. I'm I'm excited to talk about uh, talk about your work and and Gainline more generally. Let's start though with your background. When did you first get interested in in analytics? Um, I think it was really through my uh, coaching experience, working in coaching junior pathways in rugby union. In the fact that I always used to ask the question why. So you always do things, you know, by the coaching manual, and there's certain aspects of the game. But then I was always a why kind of guy. Why do we need to do that? And then really for me, analytics is just a, an extension of the why. It's a more um, 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 approach to actually asking the questions of why, um, but obviously with data. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you mentioned you were a coach. I, I know you have a background in, in sport and out of sport. What, is your, what was your background prior to Gainline? What was your, your path into this field? Yeah, my path is is quite winding. Uh, originally, um, I was a car designer. Uh, I worked for okay. a company here in Australia, but during that process, I was always involved in in rugby and coaching pathways. Um, and so, through that particular role, I actually changed profession, became a school teacher, um, and a, um, a head of rugby at a school at a, at a at an independent boys' school um, here in Australia, and. Uh, that that allowed me to become more involved in rugby. Through that, um, I got involved in a number of professional teams, which added to that whole analytics story because I uh, became mm-hmm. a video video and performance analyst. So when you're doing um, video and um, performance analysis at a professional level, uh, th- th- there's obviously a greater expectation to uh, the level of data and level of understanding. So that really added to that whole original why for me and it allowed me to then uh, pursue the analytics and a greater level of understanding at the at the professional level, uh, the professional level of rugby union. So that was my, that's sort of my sport background. And really quickly, because I, I think it's it's really interesting that you have a you have a background in teaching. Do you find that you know I, I've always found that it's really important to have someone in, in any analytics organization that's able to explain these concepts really well. Do, do you find that teaching has helped you? Um, you know, when you're working and you're consulting with teams, when you're trying to work with coaches that, you know, may not be as familiar with the technical work that you're doing on the back end? Yeah, I do. I think that some of the skills of teaching is around the communication of ideas, understanding what's important, as opposed to downloading a, um, a massive amount of information saying, what's the important part that needs to be downloaded here to that people are going to get the maximum out of? Because just like a teacher, always time sensitive and just with working mm-hmm. with clients and sports teams, and it's a really important part to understand what's the important bit, what's the other, the non-important bit, and then just to be able to stand up in front of people um, mm-hmm. and communicate in a positive, in a positive fashion. And and coaching as well. I know it, I've talked to several people who've, or they're in the analytics space, but they have a background as a coach. Do you find that's been helpful too, because you understand you know, where the coach coaching and and you know non-analytic side is coming from. I think that's the biggest aspect for me and what I find with, especially with analytics, 
is mm-hmm. having a coaching background, having a deep understanding of a sport and having been involved in a, in a professional environment, you really get to understand what are the important aspects and what aren't. And this, again, comes back mm-hmm. down to that, that, that thing I was talking about with, with teaching is you, you can actually get a bit more perspective about what's actually the important aspects, uh, what do people absorb, what's not, what's peripheral information, and, and what a high-performing sort of organisation is looking for in regards to information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, you know, the communication aspect, which is obviously a, the main goal of a teacher, but also distilling information is is a huge and, and sometimes underrated part of, of analytics. So I, I definitely appreciate that background. Um, but you, you founded uh, Gainline with someone else, Ben Darwin. What was his background prior to you uh, starting the company? So Ben was a professional rugby player. So he played for um, Australia for the Wallabies and also played for a, a, a professional um, franchise called the Brumbies um, based out of Canberra here in Australia. Um and his background, after he finished playing, he had to retire early through injury, he became a coach, um, became a coach in Australia and in Japan, and also through that process became a performance analyst. So he was a coach, a forwards coach, performance analyst. Um, the really interesting thing with Ben was um, he's quite um, self-deprecating in a way that he, he doesn't <laughs> necessarily describe himself as the best player ever. But what he did, he played in programs, he played in organisations that allowed him to become the best player possible. So he was involved mm-hmm. in the Wallabies when Australia was beating uh, the All Blacks fairly regularly. And if anyone knows their rugby history, will know that that's a long time ago. And <laughs> but, but it's always lingered with him, the fact yeah. that his performances were more of a reflection of the team and not necessarily himself. And, and, and this sort of gelled. So when Ben and I met each other through um, the Melbourne Rebels, which is a professional franchise here in Australia, so he was head performance analyst. And because I was doing some work with the Wallabies, the Australian team, he said, can you, you know, come and help me here at the Melbourne Rebels? His sort of philosophy around what makes teams good sort of gelled with my coaching philosophy around um, the, the particular aspects I focused on. And so it, it just meant that we we were so always aligned uh, when it came mm-hmm. to our sort of our views um, with it. But we didn't, at the time, didn't really have a language to be able to describe what we were seeing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I assume this this leads into to, to founding Gaylon and this sort of gelling of ideas. What What's the story there? What you know led you to start Gainline in the first place? So it was really driven through Ben that he... Um, he was coaching rugby in Japan, and uh, um, and he coached a, a full 100% winning season and still got fired. And he said, sort of, <laughs> like as a professional coaching, what you know, what a gig. There's so much pressure. There's 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 not necessarily a lot of job security. He said, well, how can I use my mm-hmm. skills? How can I use my skills in sport? And Ben was Ben's also a very analytical um, person as well. So what he did, he moved back to Australia and showed me his idea and that was basically a uh, we developed a database of every professional rugby union rugby league player in the world their contract history who their agent is bio data with the idea that instead of clubs having their scouts around uh, the world trying to find players that we would sort of be a, a, a repository for this information so teams would come to us and say i need mm-hmm. a, a player um a, a number 10 um 
And so we'd look in our database and say there were three coming off contract here. Here are their details. But what the, the really interesting thing around this time was that when we arranged the database, we arranged this contract data by their particular team they were playing with at the time. And we noticed this real strong trend that teams that recruited, retained and exited players in a certain way had uh, there was a consistency in that and then a consistency to their performance. And so we found mm -hmm. that teams that would go out and try and um, uh, recruit all the stars and um, buy in talent weren't necessarily performing to the level uh, that was expected. And this really gelled with Ben's previous experience about playing in the particular teams he did, making him a better player and my, my sort of personal experience uh, uh, around coaching. So what we did, what we were seeing here was was really the, the beginning of what we call cohesion analytics. And uh, it it allowed us to actually understand how recruiting influences performance. Got it. And, and so I, I think this is, you know, you probably answered a lot of this right there, but generally speaking, how would you define cohesion analytics? So cohesion analytics to us is, a, is an objective measurement of understanding between players on a team. So cohesion is sometimes when, when that word is spoken, sometimes people think about social cohesion. Do people like each other? Do they get on? Mm -hmm. What's their cultural values? For us, cohesion is really around the objective measure of understanding between players. And and, and that has a, a strong um, influence on uh, performance. So um, cohesion can be measured within an organisation, within teams, within units, within a team, uh, in attack, defence, different aspects of the game um, around sporting teams. Um, and it's really about uh, um, that, that, that objective measure of understanding. So whether you can truly measure understanding, I'm not 100% sure, but what our measurements are for a proxy, they're a proxy for that mm -hmm. understanding because they have this very strong relationship to performance. And, and when you talk about understanding, is this – you know, in general, you know, the players get along, they, they're close knit, their personalities mesh and, or does this mean you know, on the field, they have an understanding of, you know, when player X does this player, Y knows exactly what he's going to do and, and can put the ball in the right spot. Is it, is it sort of both of those or is it one or the other? It's, it's the latter. When they're on the field, okay. they know what they're going to do. So, and, and through Ben's, you know, personal life as a professional sportsman through my association through teams and through our research we know there are a lot of teams that are very successful but the players don't like each other and mm -hmm. so so there's this element to the level of understanding that's on the field and it really comes down to that and we describe it by the cohesion relates to what we call the three p's people so the relationship and understanding between people uh, position or their role the, what their particular role is in a team, how many, how much level of understanding do they have to, there needs to be between the other teams. So, for example, in the NFL, a kicker does not necessarily need a, a lot of understanding with the rest of their mm -hmm. teams, but a quarterback does. An offensive and defensive lineman has to have a high amount of understanding between the people next to them. So it, it, mm -hmm. it's different in those environments. So, um, And then the last one is program out of the three Ps. And program is... Uh, the game plan, what the coach is doing. If you change what you're doing, there needs to be a period of adaption um, for the players. So there might be a period of underperformance if you're changing the, the, the way you're playing. So all of those mm -hmm. elements add up to essentially what we what we describe as cohesion analytics. Mm -hmm. And so how, how do you measure cohesion? What are sort of the, 
how do you get down to those those proxy values it's in the simplest form it's it's effectively um how much time uh people have played together so we just use objective uh, team lists squad lists um but but as i said in the simplest form but there's there's a lot of there's essentially eight years of nuance uh, and research to how that is interpreted in a way. Mm-hmm. So there's so there's really two types of cohesion. There's cohesion around the squad, how a team recruits. We call this TWI or Teamwork Index. And 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 in a way it's measuring whether an organisation is an internally focused development organisation or an externally focused buying. Do you buy players for success or do, do you develop them internally? That's sort of each end of the spectrum. So there's that aspect. And what TWI does is allow... It's basically the controller of how much cohesion you can have from a game by game basis, um, and the mm-hmm. game by game basis is is essentially a version of shared experience. But obviously, uh, from our point of view, it's it's shared experience that's been nuanced and understood and researched. So um, how that that shared experience relates to particular positions, how it relates to certain aspects of the team, whether it's attack or defence, units within units, different different parts of the. Um, the team, how quickly that grows in different aspects. So there's a whole number of facets um, to it. So in our in our sports that we're most mature, rugby union, rugby league, and and AFL, and a little bit of football, um, you know, we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of these data points that come out um, from a particular game to understand all the different aspects um, of of the team cohesion and therefore into performance. Got it. And so I guess. To make sure I'm understanding this correctly, at, at the simplest level, a team or a pair of players would have high cohesion if they've played together a lot, either for the same team or for different teams over the year. And then you layer on the nuance of did they play positions that they would have had to, you know, work together or you know have experience playing together. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Again, in its simplest form. So the more people have played together, the more they understand um, mm-hmm. how they play together in that way. But for, just from a cohesion standpoint, it's it's not necessarily just simply about you've got a bunch of players, let's play them for a long period of time and they'll get better. It's essentially yeah. a whole framework on um, how you create an organisation that will bring players through. So when your older, more mature, mature players are retiring, that you have these spots that fill through the organisation. So it's not just a, necessarily a case of, okay, they've gone, let's start from scratch. So you create mm-hmm. basically a, a framework that allows the organisation to be consistently successful through having high cohesion. So, you, you know, San Antonio Spurs over 20 years, you know, 20 years of playoffs, the uh, New England Patriots, um, um, the All Blacks in rugby, Melbourne Storm in rugby mm-hmm. league here in Australia. And so it's it's basically the, the ins- you're, you're trying to create institutional memory, um, you know, in the form of you, know, you have a strong backbone of players and shared experiences on the team. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And institutional memory, not necessarily just from the players coming through the system, but also the organisation in, in, in a way. We, we kind uh-huh. of describe cohesion analytics, cohesion analytics is like governance analytics. It allows an organisation to understand what's driving success. And institutional mm-hmm. memory is such an important part in professional sport when you have so much churn and turnover often teams are making the same mistakes because they don't mm-hmm. necessarily have that institutional memory. And how does type of sport 
impact a team's ability to be cohesive. I assume there's some cases in you know, like college sports in the U.S. You could only play for four years, and so there's going to be more turnover than a professional team where someone could play longer. And I'm sure within sports, there's you know baseball, for example, uh, it's a more or less individualistic sport than football. How does sports seem to change how cohesive a team can can become either you know it's it's best possible or worst possible yeah so baseball um i mean the equivalent in australia is cricket of course and we've done a little mm-hmm. bit of work in cricket so and it is very much individual skill but what we found in cricket specifically t20 cricket which is one of the short version of the game is mm-hmm. that the the more highly cohesive teams perform much better under pressure and so they actually can, as a group, work together um, in pressure situations. Um, and and um, so there's that, that aspect. So with the, with the individual skill aspects type sports, baseball, cricket, um, there's that, that, that the ability of the team to work under pressure. Then you have um, um, sports that are uh, – sports have different dynamics. So the rugby codes, for example, rugby union, rugby league, are what we describe as 180-degree invasive sports. So you have one mm-hmm. line one line attacking another line. And cohesion is very, very strong with regards to defence. It's not necessarily about the individual's ability to make the tackle, but how they work in the defensive line. Then you mm-hmm. have 360-degree three, sports like football, um, Australian rules football, um, uh, uh, ice hockey, for example, where, where the relationship between attack and defence is different. Um, cohesion mm-hmm. is more involved in attack as well as defence. And then you have, say, water polo, where cohesion is more applicable in attack, where defence is more uh, one-on-one individual skill base. And then mm-hmm. um, basketball, five people on the court, cohesion can really um, um, uh, work very quickly. You, you get a group of people together and they can really um, get to know each other because there's not many necessarily on the court. Unlike AFL football, where there's 18 people from each each team, you know, 36 people on a on a on a oval at the same time playing the game, and so the the amount of cohesion you develop takes a long, long time uh, because mm-hmm. you have so many people. So so different sports have different aspects. I mean, the NFL, for example, you have close skills with kicking. You have sort of uh, more uh, less close skills quarterback to um, wide receiver, but then you have um, um, open skills with a defensive and offensive line. So there's a whole bunch of different dynamics about how cohesion impacts different sports. And, and it's interesting, your, your question about college sport, yes, sort of they have a closed pathway because of the nature of it, but um, sports still, uh, teams still trade. Uh, there are selection aspects, what you can do in season. It's interesting, mm-hmm. a study, anecdotally, um, Northwestern, um, their football has improved um, recently and and potentially it's back to a an analytics rec- a recruitment analytics um, process they put in place a few years ago that highlighted people that would w- would recruit and stay at Northwestern and so mm-hmm. there's this there's this aspect of uh, a, amount of stability has been created just through that so it's not necessarily about the the quality of the aspect but the stability of the program which is really important. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting, and I, I could see how that might apply in in college basketball in particular. If you know these high powered programs have you know, maybe a few 
four year players that are, you know, sort of the, the institutional memory of the program, but then often they'll bring in a star player who's only expected to be there for a year. Um, and sort of that mix and match of this, I guess, longer term cohesion of the program and this shorter term, um, you know, bringing in star players. It's, it's really interesting. Have, have you observed cases in which, and I, I assume you have observed cases in which a non-cohesive team has become significantly more cohesive and, and how they've done that? Yes. So, so there is a process behind it and, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily a, a, a quick turnaround. It's more about the program mm-hmm. itself, not necessarily about the team, but, but, we do have this term called backending, and backending is you might have a you might be low cohesion at the beginning of the season, uh, but there's a high degree of stability through people, position, uh, program, and so you actually, if you can make it through to the end of the year, um, um, potentially just making say the finals, uh, uh, that you can be a lot more, you can be a lot stronger through that process, and so mm-hmm. um, within seasons. Um, stability is really important, but it, it, it's not necessarily a long-term uh, process because you're always going to necessarily have player turnover. So, so obviously, from a long-term perspective, you want a program in place that's going to, when you players leave, you have players coming in that have been in the system for a period of time. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely cohesion can change um, through the season across seasons. And what are some steps? Uh, let's say you're the general manager of a team. What are some steps you could take, or you've seen general managers take, to increase cohesion in the long run? Um, sometimes we say sometimes the hardest thing to do is nothing at all, and mm-hmm. um, there's a thing what we call action bias. If teams are losing, there's a desire to make change, and we've worked with a number of teams, and and through our research, we've seen this play out um, that. That stability is a really, really important part in the whole sort of cohesion process, and that sometimes, as a team and as a general manager, you've just got to suck it up and take the pain for a period of time, mm-hmm. knowing uh, that over time the team will improve, and and really part of that is understanding what your performance capacity is. So we so we use the term um, cohesion times skill equals performance capacity. If you've got a high amount of cohesion but low skill, you can still have a certain output. Likewise, if you've got low cohesion and high skill, you can have a similar output in that way. So, so as cohesion grows, um, th- the capacity um, is effectively improved, even if you don't necessarily change the skill of the team. So it's having sort of that understanding and, and context, especially from a GM's perspective around what is our actual performance going to be and will we just have to take some pain for a period of time to allow us to become a better team in the long run? Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so I want to focus a little bit now on on game line specifically and, and the work that you do with teams and organizations. How are, how are you typically engaging with the team? Do you come in as a consultant? Is it sort of a one-off thing? Or are you working with teams long-term? How does that typically go? Yeah, so um, it's it's essentially what we describe as the three-step three step process, but it's really horses for courses, what the organization wants. So the first step is what we, we basically give a a presentation and workshop on on the concepts of cohesion and the reason we do this is there's a bit of an education piece to it because the concepts that we are talking about is not necessarily um understood fully or or 
or people really realise that it's actually a thing. So we, mm -hmm. we basically have this presentation workshop and that's to get alignment in the organisation. And Why alignment is so important is that if you've got uh, an owner or a GM or a board that basically wants to win tomorrow and the coach says, no, I've got to build for three years or vice versa, I don't mind you building, says the, the ownership or senior leadership and the coach says, I want to win tomorrow there's going to be misalignment in the decisions being made. And so, mm -hmm. and, and, and cohesion plays a, an aspect in those two different um, different pathways. So the first step is alignment and understanding through the whole organisation. And then the next step is what we call a performance audit. This is you. This is basically your cohesion markers. This is where historically you've been. This is where the competition is. This is your potential mm -hmm. performance capacity. Here's lessons learned from previously from you. Here's benchmark teams from um, from your competition or other competitions to give you an understanding about what the best teams do but also counter to that what the what the um, poor teams do um, because it's mm -hmm. really important to have that aspect of what the difference between a good and bad is and then from that is it's it's essentially what we call squad builder which is um, an ongoing relationship with the team here's a game by game um, report for your particular game. Here are your markers versus the opposition markers. Um, we basically, we can use our cohesion markers to predict outcome. And outcome is really important because if a team had no chance of winning and they don't win, you don't necessarily have to make any uh, 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 critical decisions about that particular um, game. So there's not necessarily action bias. And then it's if you recruit XYZ and release ABC, this is the impact. Here are the markers you need to track over your recruiting um, your recruiting cycle. And so there's that ongoing relationship with the idea being that they have the team has context to performance, but also um, has the ability to optimize cohesion uh, over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. and, and do you often work with, say, a team has in-house analytics already? Are you working with the team's data analysts? Or are you typically more of an external third party and, and working directly with the general managers, coaches, people like that? Yeah, external third party. Um, mm -hmm. Really, and, and being involved in, in that side, um, the, the, the data analysts generally um, are really focusing on uh, what's happening in the here and now. And also mm -hmm. from a recruiting standpoint, and it's and like you know, ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of of modern sports analytics is really about measuring output, measuring skill, uh, and what we don't, we that's more of the how. You know, modern modern sports analytics is very much measuring the how, but we're trying to measure the why, what's going into an organisation to create success, as opposed to measuring what's happening in a game, and so that's mm -hmm. generally why we sort of sit at that governance level within an organization to give them an understanding that that big picture understanding because what we do is that this isn't a what we do isn't a replacement for what anyone else does it's more of an overlay to give more mm -hmm. context to performance you know individuals an individual their skill output will seem higher in a high cohesive team than in a low cohesive team so that's that to try and give that understanding of the context of performance um, and especially with if they're looking from a recruitment standpoint you know, is somebody performing that well because of the nature of the team they're in or is it basically come back to their individual skill? Mm -hmm. So what are the next developments that, that Gainline is hoping to make in the cohesion analytics space? What's the next frontier for you? Uh, two, two sides from a sport perspective. Um, for us, um, it's, for example, we would produce a report for a game. Here's the, here's the team. 
here's the opposition, here are aspects, here's strengths and weaknesses, here's the predicted outcome of the game. And it's static. Once the game started, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, one thing that we, we want to be able to do in the future is basically have it live. It's almost like mm. a, heat, a heat map of cohesion of, of, the, of, the, of the team um, on the field. Um, to allow tactical decisions to be made around whether it's substitution, selection, uh, uh, teams' strengths and weaknesses. So that's one aspect that, that, that that's a target for us. Um, it, it requires a, a lot of computing power and a lot of technology, mm-hmm. uh, but that's something for us that, you know, is a goal. The other side of cohesion analytics, basically because we measure teams, we don't use skill as an input. Essentially, it doesn't matter what team we use, uh, what team we're measuring. So we measure sports teams, but we we actually have an equal client base in the corporate side. So we measure um, teams within corporate entities and measure that against their own specific KPIs. And one mm-hmm. of the things for us going forward is that we've got the the ability to measure organisations, um, senior leadership in organisations, and one of the biggest KPIs of uh, an organisation is share price. And so for us, it doesn't matter what the outcome is or, um, or what, what the team do. Um, uh, we've got the ability to measure and measure against specific KPIs. So we've got um, um, the opportunity to adapt what we're doing into corporate and also into um, sort of fund management side. Again, that's a bit of a stretch, um, but there's, there's no reason why we believe it's not going to be as effective of what we're doing in sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, that all makes sense. So, uh, I want to take a step back here when we finish up and talk about you know how you stay up to date on analytics and your recommendations for people in in the sports analytics world. What are some of your favorite sports analytics resources, either related to cohesion or or totally separate? Where do you tend to go for information? Yeah, cohesion for us is there's not much out there. So uh, yeah, so our work originally started out of HR, corporate data, military. NASA research, medical team research, and we essentially applied it back to sport. Um, there's a great book called um, Chasing Stars by uh, Boris Groisberg from Harvard Business School. He looks at the transition of talent of uh, stockbroking analysts between different Wall mm-hmm. Street firms and their, the influence of what how moving uh, to a different um, organisation impacted their performance. And it's a really good analogy for the transfer of talent and people moving between sports teams. Um, mm-hmm. So f- from a cohesion, cohesion perspective, we, we definitely look at research, that sort of side. Um, you know, books f- books for, for me, some of my favourite books, have, I mean, you've got Moneyball and you've got The Big Short, and it's not necessarily the subject matter. It's not that it's about, you know, baseball for Moneyball. It's more about the aspect of people seeing something that nobody else is seeing. And then mm-hmm. working with that, I think that's the real key. Uh, one of my other favourite books is um, Astro Ball by Ben Ritter, um, mm-hmm. but of course that's pre pre controversy. So if you do, if, you, <laughs> yeah. if you do read Astro Ball, you've got to then listen to his podcast, The Edge, which is a, uh-huh. sort of a really good bookend for, uh, for that. Um, other podcasts, uh, Wharton Moneyball, um, mm-hmm. is one that I um, listen to quite a bit more from a more from a technical approach, and you know, basically guys literally problem solving. Um, 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 as they speak, um, there's one in Australia called uh, a podcast called Chilling with Charlie, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a, a really good podcast because it has a wide range of 
of, of topics and guests uh, um, from the an analytics bent. Um, mm -hmm. um, and, oh, and, and sorry, two of my other favourite ones, there's um, called, and as I bring up my phone and have a look, um, <laughs> um, the ones that they're about basically decision-making. So decision-making is really important. So one of my other favourite books is um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Oh, yeah. Kahneman, because yeah. one of the biggest things we find with working with senior leadership in, in sporting organisations is actually their ability to make decisions with the appropriate amount of information um, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to gut feel. And sort of learning around how decision-making works is really important to get people to change their mind. Um, so Cautionary Tales is a really good podcast because it's essentially around decision-making. Um, um, so so aspects like, like Spectacular Failures is another good one for me as a podcast, again, because it's it's focusing on um, decision-makers. Uh, one of my other favourite ones, The Flying Coach with Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll, but that's just because I just enjoy listening to those guys talk. So mm -hmm. some of the topics are pretty varied. So um, that's a snapshot. Um of sort of what I'm like to read and what I'm listening to and, and sort of how uh -huh. that helps us with our organization. Yeah. I mean, I, those are all, all great resources. Um, so finally, last, last question, what advice do you have for someone interested in getting into sports analytics or, or learning more about what you do? It's a really interesting, that's a really interesting question. When I started as a sort of performance analyst, it was, you were the other guy hanging around. You were the guy that was good with it um, mm -hmm. And that they're the people that sort of got that role. So you only have to look at you know all the all the LinkedIn profiles of all the head of analytics across most US sport, and it is a statistics uh, grad and uh, you know a PhD in 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 data. So so it, it, those people now through university courses, and there's such a proliferation of analytics that that data analytics is quite ubiquitous, and everyone does something very very similar. So for me, about sort of getting into sports analytics is potentially creating a niche or creating a body of work that allows to um, organisations to see what you can do, whether that's your mm -hmm. own blog, whether that's a, um, you know, a Twitter account highlighting things. But, but, but really, because there's so much of very similar work that, it's, that, that potentially is trying to create your own little niche, um, like, essentially like we've done, um, in our organisation, in, in the way we look at sport, but it's being able to sort of um, get yourself standing out from the pack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really, this is interesting and, and certainly not a topic we've covered before because you're one of the, the few people working on it. So thank you so much for, for joining me and, and walking me through cohesion analytics. Uh, Brendan, my pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on, and um, uh, I, uh, I uh, yeah listen to the podcast quite um, regularly. So it's always good to get those varying different topics, and I'm glad that um, I could add to it. <laughs>